Let's freaking go. I love this show each and every week. Bringing aid, football cards, collecting and investing. We're going to talk about a new-ish set. $30,000 a box, Andy. $30,000. We're going to talk about that, give you plays of the week, as we always do at the end of the episode. But what we want people to do is in the comment section down below, let us know if you are PSA or bust, right? Like there's a lot of people in the hobby that only take cards in PSA slabs. Andy, you've been doing group submissions with CSG. I am not a PSA or bust guy, but please let us know if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're watching this wherever. Please, we want to know this because Andy, the numbers are pretty staggering when it comes to the amount of cards that are graded by PSA compared to everyone else so far in 2022. Very staggering, Carter. In fact, since January of 2022, PSA has graded roughly 5.1 million cards compared to SGC grading 558,000, Beckett grading 442,000, and they did not have data from CSG at the beginning of, this, of the year. But if you look at the week-over-week week numbers, you can see that CSG is grading quite a bit of cards on a monthly basis. So just looking at June of this year, PSA was at 887,000 cards graded. CSG was second place at 176,000. SGC at 100K and BGS at 72K, which is actually, for them, that's down 18%. Uh, month over month on the amount of cards that they've graded. So, I mean, you're looking at a 10 times more graded cards from PSA than any other uh, grading company out there. Yeah, and what we want to do today is talk about slabs in general. I do see a lot of people, more so than they have in the past years, crack and sub to PSA. That seems to be one of the like most popular things you'll see in the hobby is the cracking and resubmitting and people making money off of it, uh, cracking a, um, an HGA like 9.5 and it turning into a PSA 10. You just 10x your card literally by just taking that chance, right? And I didn't get in this hobby, Andy, to get gardening shears to crack plastic. <laughs> but that is what people do and you know it turns out really well for them and i think andy the big thing is that beckett has kind of lost some steam more so in these modern years uh in the hobby i think so i think beckett has because they've maintained uh this higher rate to to submit like this higher uh entry level um submission fee and psa has now reopened their economy and so when you when you look at how strict they are, like if, if it's the same amount, if it's $50 to grade with PSA and $50 to grade with Beckett, well, you're more likely to get a PSA 10. Beckett 10s are extremely rare. And then a PSA 10 is still worth like 50 to 100% more than a BGS 9.5. So that's why people are, are going to PSA because investors and collectors are still paying so much more for PSA 10s. And for those that are new, it wasn't always like that, right? Beckett you know, commanded more. And, you know, if you've been in this hobby for a while, you know that a PSA 10 and a BGS 9.5 are very similar. And then you get into BGS subgrades and, you know, SGC doesn't do subgrades, 
but you get into the subgrading kind of philosophy, it gets really strange because there's more data points per se with the nine five corners, nine centering or whatever the grades may be. And then the true gym plus and the gym gym plus and the gym plus E equals MC square plus, you know, it gets complex where a PSA 10 is a PSA 10, a PSA nine is a PSA nine. And Andy, I've seen just some truly insane things where people will crack a PSA six and then get back a PSA 10 right? You see some truly insane stuff. And for me, it honestly never really made that much sense, but I also get it. People like that iconic PSA label. So for you, Andy, are you a guy that doesn't mind diversifying his slaps whenever you're actually buying them? Diversifying in terms of buying a Beckett uh, BGS 9.5 versus a PSA 10? For, yeah, for the right yeah. value. That doesn't matter to you if a card is in a PSA slab or not. From a strictly an investment standpoint, it does. Like I, I understand that at the same price point, like I'm gonna try and get a ten over a BGS nine five or even an SGC ten or a CSG ten. Even though those grading companies are are known to be more strict, it, it's just. Man, the the PSA 10 has a higher resale value, like hands down higher resale value. And a lot of times it could be double of what an SGC 10 or a CSG 10 is selling for, even though those, those cards are probably in better condition because those grading companies are more strict. I, I think that just goes back to how many they're grading on a, on a monthly basis as well. Like if you have a company that, I mean, I, I can only imagine what the staff size is at PSA these days. It's It's got to be hundreds of graders with how many cards they are grading. But I just think that means more uh, inconsistency, more more things falling through the cracks. Um, I, I know they're using some form of AI, but I, I obviously it's not like 100% AI or some of these grading companies are really um, using like a laser light and other type of uv light technologies when they're scanning in the cards with the high-res images to find the the edge blemishes the surface blemishes and all that kind of stuff i don't think psa is good quite to that extent so i still think well like we see it we see we see cards that have been trimmed we see cards that have white corners and white edges that have gotten tens and cards that are off center that have gotten tens and they, they have a lot more that fall through the cracks but obviously they're grading 10 times as many cards as the other one i don't I don't mind diversifying. I like the entry um, fee of buying a 10 from another company much lower in the expectations, the hopes that they're going to pick up steam and they continue to gain, you know, respect in the market. And therefore the resale values will, will get better. I don't get people getting frustrated. Like I see this oftentimes on social media where someone chooses to grade with SGC instead of PSA. And they're like, why would you do such a thing? Uh, for this kind of, it doesn't matter to me. I want the card to matter more than the slab that it's in. Right. I've always been that way. And, you know, I personally have never submitted cards to get graded. Right. Now, does that make me lose some credibility in the hobby? Maybe, but I just buy it already graded. I'm just one of those kind of guys. Cause I have submitted a card to PSA, but it was just for a reslabbing of a card and I've done the group submitting thing with PSA before and I didn't like not having my cards back in a year either time. And I know like you could pay for different grade levels now and for PSA, the $30 uh, submission fee, you know, 
getting in the lottery and hopefully you get in the lottery for the chance for them to grade your card. You know, I, I love PSA. I own mostly PSA slabs. I actually do like their slabs the best, but I am not beholden to them. I know the rest of the hobby doesn't agree. And that's the thing, Andy, as much as I want there to be more grading companies, the numbers still back that PSA is just so much bigger when it comes to not only churning out grades, but just their stranglehold on the hobby. So for you, Andy, what advice would you give someone that is new when it comes to buying cards in slabs, the premiums that come along with buying a card at a certain grade in a slab compared to just overall buying a card wrong? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that the card and the player is more important than the grade, especially when we talk about more scarce cards, more rare cards. I would also say that if you are buying a BGS 9.5 or an SGC 9 with the uh, with the thought that you're going to cross it over to PSA, be prepared to crack that out. Like PSA does have a crossover service, but they take a lot of personal pride in giving their 10s. So when they see, uh, you know, nines and nine fives from another company the chances of you getting a 10 on that when it comes to them in that slab is very 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 low they're going to automatically pretty much every time give you that nine that that the other companies give you but if you crack it out and you submit it to them raw now all of a sudden it comes to them as a raw card and then psa can put their own grade on it which then you have a you know 50 60 percent chance depending on the set and the year and everything the of of um, getting a 10 and but, that, but that's my whole thing like you know from what i found i've i've gone like i just went through like a hundred or, or plus raw cards yesterday of mine the best cards that i have looking for cards that i thought would get a 10 i'm going over going over them with a very very close look looking at the corners edges surface um centering everything and i only found a small handful that i felt very good about them getting 10s and it'll be interesting to see the grades I get back from CSG, but uh, ultimately I, I, I'm okay with it because it's only $12 a card. Now it just went up today to $15 a card, but still $15 a card is pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I think that just be, uh, have the expectation that when you're buying raw cards on eBay, like you definitely want to look for pictures of the cards that aren't in any type of top loader or sleeve. Like you want to see that card raw and so you could potentially get a good look and because top loaders and sleeves and one touches, they have scratches on them just inherently. And so you can't really tell if that's part of the case, the top loader or the actual card. And so I would say that's my one thing. Like when I'm buying raw cards, I really want to see that card actually raw, raw out of out of anything. Um, and then, yeah, my other thing is, you know, be prepared to crack it. If that is your thought, your intention of crossing it over to PSA um, or or just target SGC 10s csg tens with the thought that those are going to continue to pick up steam in the market as they gain respect and loyalty from hobbyists then those resale values of those cards should climb and hopefully one day you know um it would be nice if they were around equal as a psa 10 yeah and for me it's inevitable that one of those companies regain steam i i really do feel that way i know it doesn't look like that but it, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily good that everybody's PSA are bust, right? It, it's not good. And also, uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm a big fan of Nat Turner. I really am. Like his collection and then obviously him taking over PSA. Uh, I think even he would agree with that, right? Because there's so many cards that get sent to PSA that don't need to be graded by PSA, right? And then there are people that have been longtime PSA hobbyists that want to, you know, fill out their sets to get graded by PSA. So they're actually not trying to do it for like the investing or the, you know, the promise of, of an, of, of a 10 being, you know, what they want the card to be, if that makes sense. Right. There's people that just want their card in a PSA slab because all their other cards are in PSA slabs. No one ever projected that there would be the kind of backlog that they have. So this isn't me saying like going on some anti PSA rant, because once again, most of my cards are in PSA slabs. It's just, Man, it's just nuts when you look at 5.1 million PSA cards compared to the next highest being SGC at 500,000. That is such a crazy discrepancy between the two. It's just insane to me. It, it blows my mind. Yeah, for the right entry prize point, I mean, you're always going to always going to get the most liquidity out of a PSA 10. Like you'll have the easiest time moving those. You'll be able to move based on risks of, of skill position players, PSA 10. You'll see somebody reaching for that because like, that's kind of like the big thing when you first get into the hobby. I mean, there's people that made whole channels that are just PSA channels, you know, and uh, PSA is so hugely popular. They've been around for a long time, but um, I mean, honestly, there, there's still such a, a big market for raw cards. Those still constitute like 80 to 90% transactions on eBay, like in the big scheme of things. And, um, you know, I, I still see a lot of profit margin being made from before players break out till after on raw cards. It's about the same percentage wise, but of course the PSA 10s move quick, like those move first. And there's always people out there that are looking for PSA 10s, even in base cards. And you'll see guys reaching 60 to $80 for a skill position base Donruss or base optic or base prism, but in a PSA 10 slab. And that's a really good way to add value to the card, like exponential value. Right. And there is like PSA does have a membership tier that if you're in that membership tier, there's no lottery. Like you can submit to them. They have a cap on it. Um, it's like 50 card, 30 or 50 cards. I want to say it was somewhere. I can't remember quite. It was somewhere between 30 and 50 cards, but at $30 a card. And there was no lottery. Like, that was, they opened that up to that membership tier they have. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I, I, I remember when I was younger, I knew Joe, Joe Orlando. And, you know, I'd speak to him every year at the National. And, man, I, I know he's not with, you know, PSA anymore, like, in, in the same capacity. But it's just, it's nuts, like, what everything used to go for to what it is now, what PSA used to be, what it is now. And it's just wild that without the subgrades and just the simplicity of a nine or a 10 or an eight or seven, six, five, four, whatever it may be. Uh, it's just nuts, man. It's still nuts to me. It's still nuts that the gap seems to have widened. Um, if you were to ask me how many cards would be graded up to this point, you know, I would guess PSA would be around that number. I thought that SGC would be a little bit closer, but it's it's wild. So once again, get in the comment section. Shoot us a message on our Discord. You can join patreon.com slash football cards. We want to learn 
more about your grading experiences. Now, Andy, I, I want to get into new releases. Every episode we've done recently, part of the reason why I wanted to do the grading thing is every episode we talk about Prism. But before we get to this new $30,000 10-card set, I want to talk about Optic. And you've been looking at Optic really closely as far as making some moves, baby. Oh, yeah, man, because it's been overshadowed by Prism. So here's the thing, Carter, and it's not main optic. Um, the main optic set is not scheduled to be released now till the end of July. And who knows if that gets pushed out. Select has been pushed out to August. So it's like the, the, the 2022 season is going to be starting and Panini still releasing 2021 product is pretty wild. But um, the set specifically that we're talking about, Carter, is Contenders Optic rookie ticket autos and i absolutely love this set for multiple reasons one a lot of them are on card autos a lot of the main players talking about draft pedigree in the first three rounds of 2021 draft they're getting on card autos and contenders optic this is a higher quality card stock it's thicker it doesn't have the same edge and corner issues that are you're seeing on base contenders rookie ticket autos coming out of the pack with these white corners and white edges I have not seen that in Contenders Optic. And I've also seen it going under undervalued compared to Prism. Like I've seen Contenders Optic rookie ticket autos with the on-card auto sell for less than what a Silver Prism auto is selling for without a serial number with a sticker auto. Doesn't make any sense to me. I have never been a fan of Silver Prism autos or just Prism autos it's a sticker auto it's basically the same card but with a sticker on it 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 doesn't seem really creative to me right where a rookie ticket auto is iconic get that on card auto baby it's looking beautiful i've i've loved the design of this year's rookie ticket autos in this rookie class as well it's something else that really stood out to me i like where your mind is going baby with contenders um and an optic you know being released now for me andy my question and i think a lot of people would ask you this question as well historically how have rookie ticket autos and optic sold compared to just base rookie ticket autos uh they've done pretty well i mean i've i've seen so so the thing is right a contenders optic is a hobby only product Right. And it's it's caught on more, I think, in the past couple of years. I think when they first released it back in 2017, that it, you know, those cards are considerably more rare. And I think they've kind of maintained that. But I think that a lot of times you've seen those base contenders, rookie ticket autos sell for more. But now people are understanding, especially this year with the all the uh, corner and edge issues that the base contender set has had, I, I think you're going to see contenders optic rookie ticket autos do a lot better this year. I, I saw that like a lot of 2020 variations, uh, like in my Jerry Judy's that I sold, um, my Brandon Ayuk's that I sold. So I was looking at those and looking at the sale price differences and it was about the same, right? It was about the same. And Contenders Optic is a hobby only product. It's a pack, one pack of six cards for like $650. And so the, the scarcity the scarcity is absolutely there when you're talking about those rookie ticket autos. And, you know, they're just harder to pull, harder to get. And they should inherently have a higher resale value. Uh, and I think they're going to continue to appreciate, especially this year's product, I think is definitely once the dust settles, is going to be worth a lot more 
in, in my opinion. Quick little hobby tip here as far as, you know, because when people rip a big-time card, like let's say like you pull a Mac Jones rookie ticket auto, what a lot of people do, Andy, is they pull it out and they post it on social media. And the one question they always ask is, should I get it graded or should I just sell it raw right now? Right? And I do think it's a little complicated because for me – um, if I'm trying to sell the card, I'm going to try and sell it now. But then again, if I'm shipping a $1,000 Mac Jones raw card, you know, that it's kind of scary right at the same time. So for me, I feel like you got to balance, you know, because for a lot of people, when they rip a card that big, they don't care about the card. They don't care about the player. They don't care about the long-term hold. They want it. They want to sell it. They want to make money off that card. Well, if you are going to be sweating buckets over the next few weeks over what the what the grade is going to be and then go through the stress of actually selling the card, then you should just sell it raw. But if you feel comfortable and want to take a chance that it does jam at PSA and it gets a 10 and that, you know, obviously three X's that card's value, then you should do that. So as far as that is concerned, I feel like you just got to do whatever you feel is most comfortable. And Andy, the one tip I would give when you would pull something like that is if you're in a region where there is a card show or if there's a hobby shop looking to buy it, go get the daggum thing uh, sold in person where you don't have fraud potentially happening. The good old-fashioned switcheroo. We talked about the crazy controversy that happened last week. Uh, in 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 the hobby, so it's for for me, Andy. I feel like if you are in that position, try your best to get an in person raw sale. Take a a, a hundred dollars or so less. Just get that thing cash, baby. Let's go. Yeah, why not? I I think raw buying raw selling raw is uh, the way to go most of the time because your chances of getting ten a lot of times is not as good you know if you don't get a 10 then it's not worth your while i mean looking yeah. at the numbers the nines and 9.5s it's just a lot of times based on the investment that you've got to make into especially if you're submitting to psa or bgs is not worth your your while not worth your money or your time and especially on a new product when hype is so hot for multiple reasons just new product uh rookie players the whole nine like you've got all those boxes being checked I would go ahead and flip that card uh, raw and take your profits. I like this graphic you have here as far as gym rate. So if you can, Andy, give people what gym rate actually means. The way I understand it is a gym uh, for PSA is a nine or better. Is that correct? Uh, correct. Yeah. Jim, uh, Jim is um, so a gym for PSA is a nine or better BGS is a nine or better and SGC is a nine or better. Interesting. I think, I think I I said that right. I I think so too. Right. I, I don't know. I get confused by that all the time, unless it is 10 or better uh, when they mean gym. I, I, I get confused by that all the time. PSA nine means a card gymmed or is it PSA 10? That means a card gym. I, I, I've I think been that's Jim Mint. Yeah, Jim Mint is is ten. So, 
that's the thing about like the grading stuff. You just get, there's so many like just terminology that comes with it, and it drives me insane. It really, really does. Right when I, I'm not gonna lie, I had been in the hobby for a full year, and I did not know that I knew what subgrades were. I didn't know what gym meant plus meant. I had no idea, and that means that you have what 9.5 subgrades or something like that as far as like a BGS graded slab it gets very confusing and complicated so you know as far as that is concerned it is crazy on-time grading stats for those that don't see it on YouTube as of January 1st PSA 37.9 million cards graded BGS 8.3 million cards graded and SGC 3.5 million cards graded absolutely insane wild right mm, mm, mm. it's it's nuts like how big a bgs 10 actually is it still blows my mind it really 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 does uh but there you go if you have any grading questions feel free to reach out to me or andy and we will try our best to answer it if not we will get someone like michael ham or somebody that knows more than us to answer it for you uh, now we get to Panini Eminence, right? This is crazy. A 10-card, a box set, all 10 cards coming in a one-touch. The checklist is absolutely insane. Troy Palomalu is the least collectible player in this checklist, which is really, really crazy. And, of course, when you have gold and diamonds and cards it is really hard to get it in the lowest price box according to andy's research is thirty thousand dollars on ebay so andy your thoughts on panini imminence oh man well if you want the combination of combination of investing in precious metals plus sports cards then this is your product right it's just it's so wild that it's already sold out. I, I, I can't find it through any distribution website. The only thing I can find is on eBay. It's like last one, it says $30,000 or best offer. And you've got bars of platinum, diamonds, gold bars, silver bars in these cards with signatures of, you know what's interesting, Carter? Looking at the checklist, it's a bunch of goats. And then it's like Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Like they sprinkled in some really hyped up, you know, 2021 rookies. Had to have those guys in there. Just a few quarterbacks, you know, but but a bunch of goats. This doesn't really move the needle for me. It really doesn't. Like if I'm going to spend the money on a goat card, I'd want a goat card from the 90s or the 2000s instead of, a modern day goat card with a bunch of bells and whistles. Um, you know, Andy, I know that's not really you either, but as cool as it is to have such a high end product such as this in, in the hobby, I don't know. It's just something that that just doesn't get me going. It doesn't get the juices flowing for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, uh. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not convinced on the uh, combining precious metals with uh, with sports car. I, I do think it's cool, but for that price point, I mean, may, maybe there's some market opportunity. It's unlicensed, but you go and uh, get you a custom car. You go buy a bar of gold for, for what, like two grand, and then you know, and then and then stalk Joe Burrow and say, "Sign this piece of gold," and I'm gonna put a photo of. It. 
but yes, I, I love talking about the super high-end product because I know for sure I'll never rip anything quite like that. But whenever our whenever the show is our full-time job, which will be the case when we're front stage at the 2023 national, got to got to speak it into existence. Uh, uh, we'll 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 break one of those, which is kind of crazy. Like I don't, I've never opened a pack. Like I see these flawless. Like I see Pac-Man. I love Pac-Man. So, you know, I see him opening up these. I've never opened up a briefcase for like sports cards. We're not at that level just yet. We're working our way up. Like that just seems, that doesn't really even feel like the hobby to me. It feels like I'm walking into the McGraw Hill building in New York City, getting ready for a presentation and just sitting the briefcase down and just those levers. Uh, it's just, it, it's not, it's not me. I don't know if it's, I don't know if briefcase hobby stuff is yours either, Andy. Nah, man, it's, that's not me either. Um, ne- never, never really, uh, got into that. Don't lie. You got it. You got it, man. All you got to do is, uh, sell all the cards in on your wall back there and then give away your kidney and then you'll have enough money to buy an imminent box. There you go. That's it. Yeah. I'll still have one kidney left. I'd be, I'd be good to go. Man. And then that, that's it, man. And consolidate then, my entire collection. I'll probably have to consolidate, you know, my car as well. And then there's people listening to this, including myself that just said, Oh, well, I didn't know we had two kidneys. I thought we only had one. I really did. I thought we only had one kidney, but that's why I failed biology class. Uh, but uh, there you go. So Panini Eminence is uh, not something that we will be partaking in, but Contenders Optic is something that I'm looking to buy some singles with. Now it is time for Hobby Tip of the Week. And Andy, you got a pretty nice one. Yeah, so I, I've changed my strategy a lot lately to just, you know, taking what the market gives me. And let me explain what I mean by this. So I've changed the way I've been searching. Like um, I, I feel a lot of times we get really dialed in on one player um, and, and we start searching for that one player and, and we'll, you know, do the year, that player name, auto or whatever the case may be. You're looking for this one player. You're so dialed in, but I think you should change the way you search to the set. So for example, searches I did yesterday were 2021 contenders optic or 2021 silver prism or 2020 rookie ticket auto or 2020 silver prism and then just see what's ending soonest and taking what the market gives me is there anything from those sets because right now we have such a wide range of outcomes for so many different players in the nfl you know you look at our our draft boards and stuff it's typically like the top 300 and um so that's a big player pool and that's just offensive players mostly you know if you don't have idps in your league so that's not even defensive players and so I've been doing that and then finding from there like stuff that is going extremely undervalued for a guy that I wasn't on, like a David Montgomery rookie ticket auto. I'm not super bullish on him, but for $10, yes, I'm going to buy his rookie ticket auto because that leaves me with just so much upside. And I think it's a really good way to zag when other people are dialed in on specific players being hyped up. You just take what the market gives you. And, and you can get into some cards at really low entry price points, which gives you a ton of room for upside to flip at any point in the future. My hobby tip of the week, and that is a good one. I do an, indis- I do an ending soonest a lot, especially if I'm up 
super late, and I know there's not going to be as many eyeballs. Uh, I was able to get some really good Deontay Johnson autos for under $30, and I think he's got, you know, some not quite Justin Jefferson upside, but, I mean, even with a bad quarterback, I do think he's really good, and, you know, he plays for Pittsburgh, big team. So I think he'll have some big games this year. Um, You know, I, I like that hobby tip of the week. Mine's is pretty simple. Keep it moving. Just keep it moving, okay? Don't hold on to a car too long just to make a few extra dollars. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And not going to lie, I wish I took that advice a little bit earlier. Just holding on to cards just a little too long and not keeping your inventory moving. Keep the daggum sales happening. Take profits, move along. You're not always going to quadruple X or 3X your card, okay? Brought this up in the Discord, and Andy, you and I are very transparent about some of the plays where I make money, some of them where I lose money. And for me, I talked about Jerry Judy. Sold my final Jerry Judy card, cashed out, made money on basically all of them, some in-person sales, some, uh, you know, my, my recent one was a uh, flaw, not flawless, uh, the other set, I can't even... I sent it in the mail today. Um, and it was numbered 10 out of 99 Jersey match on card auto. And I thought oh, it was the that, national treasures, right? National treasures. Field pass. Yeah. Right. And you know, the card I'm talking about bought it for $50 during the dead of the season last year, sold it for one fifty, And I had it listed for 200 for the longest thought I was going to get 200 for the longest. And guess what? I probably could have gotten 200, you know, in the lead up to the season. But when you three X, you take it and you keep moving, especially for a player that has done nothing. Jerry Judy has done nothing. Now, you could do something with yeah. Russell Wilson in the offense. But, man, there's a lot of target competition there, right? So I kept telling myself, hey, you're going to get 200. You're going to get 200. And then finally, when I got a 150 offer, I didn't even counter. I said, you know, I'm 3 xing on a guy that is very speculative. Take it and keep moving. That 150 can go into a better card which is what I did, right? It paid for another Drew Brees card that I recently got. Keep your inventory moving if you look at cards as investments. Now, if it is a PC card that you really don't want to sell and you have it for a super high price, that's a little bit different. But if you are buying cards as far as investing, there's someone new in the Discord that was asking, um, is there anything I, sh I should know? I forgot his name. I wanted to shout him out. Um, just keep it moving. It's something that I learned with um, Roth cards. He always talks about that in his vlogs. Take what you can, move along, right? Don't get too greedy because you might miss that window. And when you miss that window, you know it. You, mm -hmm. I know you've been there before, Andy. I've I'm, been, there. I've been there before as well. I've missed a huge window before, and it's never gotten back to that level. And it was uh, a play with Kobe Bryant, right? Keep the inventory moving. I know I've said it a thousand times and there you go right there. Two prime, ex prime example, man. I've had this listed for uh, 200 on eBay and I had an offer at 150 and the guys in the discord, a, couple, a few of them, probably the guys you were talking about, were telling me to take it, keep it moving, move on, because I had plenty of profit in that. It was like over 100% profit at 150. 
And I say, yeah, but I want maybe a little bit more hype into it coming into the season. So if anybody out there listening or watching wants to buy it, you know, the offer stand, I, I'll cut you a deal 12, 13% because I'm getting more and more nervous about selling this card as we get closer to the season. I want to move it before week one. I'm in that camp, Carter. You I sold did. me last week. I want to sell Tua before week one. I got a lot of messages about the Tua rant last week. I Very did. polarizing. I told you. I, I told I, and I was ready for it. I was ready for it. I'm not afraid to share hobby hot takes. And we got some good messages back as far as that is concerned, which leads us to the play of the week, right? I got there were some messages saying, "Hey, look, I'll take Tua at the price, and his rookie ticket autos float anywhere from 300." all the way up to 500, 600. It just depends on what you're looking for. I think that's a fine speculative play. I, I, I do as far as like selling before the season because I do think you can, if you buy it to a rookie ticket auto and for some reason he does win week one, you're. I think 300 is a fine risky floor per se because you're not losing a gazillion. It's not like you're paying a thousand to try and make 2000. So there was someone that, that, that commented that and I get that. My point, my major point was just he can't play, right? And I would sell just because I know for near fact that he can't play. I just don't think he's that good. I really don't. And I also think it's like this in the NBA as well. There's only a certain so many amount of special players. And my hobby tip of the week is understanding that there is a very real possibility that all six of these rookie quarterbacks don't move the needle at all. Now, that is a very low possibility, but it is not out of the realm of possibility that Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Davis Mills all look like ordinary guys. It's, It's a very real thing. Out of all those guys that I just mentioned, there's really only one of them you would consider having an elite supporting cast, elite, and that is Trey Lance. That's it, right? Elite proven play caller, simpler offense, great weapons around him. Yes, Trevor Lawrence signed a bunch of really interesting players, and he did get a huge upgrade at coach. Still doesn't mean he's going to do anything this year. Same thing for Davis Mills. That's a pretty bad situation in Houston. Justin Fields has the worst situation. Zach Wilson plays for the Jets. Need I say any (laughs) more? And Mac Jones, who are his receivers again? You're telling me I should be shivering my timbers with the sights of Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers? No. So – my and they week. picked up inner division. They picked up Devonte Parker from the Dolphins. Oh my God! I got to change. And, and my drafted Tyquan Thornton. I got to change my pants. Oh my goodness, Devonte Parker, really the guy that's <laughs> always supposed to break out but never actually does. <laughs> that's it, man. Spare, spare me that. That Jim, one was a very real, puzzling uh, uh, pick up there. Just understand that there is a very clear quarterback hierarchy. Now, the likelihood that all six of them don't ever, you know, do it. I mean, Mac Jones has already made a Pro Bowl, right? Um, the, all six of them won't bust. One of them will 
you know, joined the Burrow, Allen, Herbert tier. But it's very real that they don't. And keep that in mind when a lot of the money on those quarterback cards could be going into a Lamar Jackson card or something along those lines, right? So my hobby tip of the week or kind of a play-ish of the week is be careful because there is a more real possibility that Trevor Lawrence looks like the guy last year, a lot like the guy this year as well. He might be the same guy and, mm. and, and him and Urban Meyer were just bad. So, Andy, for you, play of the week. Let's hear it, buddy. Mm. Yeah, man. So I'm going back to this well because, you know, if you're really dialed in with the fantasy communities, the, the beat reporters, the tweets that they're putting out, Kenny Pickett is running with the threes. Like he's not even with the second string offense or the first string offense. And Pittsburgh, like you alluded to, is a massive market. And a lot of the experts that I respect based on everything I'm reading looks like it's Trubisky's starting job, hands down. And there's a good chance that if Trubisky doesn't pull like some Nathan Peterman type level <laughs> just disaster, that he could start the majority of this year. And they still have very good defense. Everything else going for Pittsburgh that we talked about. We like the weapons there as well. Um, the offensive line is terrible. But uh, Trubisky has some mobility. He's got rushing upside. And he throws a lot of those fastballs. Deontay Johnson's perfect for that, right? If he hangs on to it and stuff. I really like Deontay Johnson um, stacked with Trubisky this year. I think Trubisky's cards are going to go up a lot in value. Carter coming out of the gate, especially once there's public acknowledgement, mass social media acknowledgement that he is the starter just based on his draft pedigree. We've seen guys that go, you know, top number one overall picks, not he was number one, but, you know, top draft selections have a much longer leash. They get hyped up a lot quicker, a lot easier. You know, so whether he pans out or not, I think his values go up big time. I saw an optic autograph serial numbered out of 99. That was a hundred dollars on eBay raw. It had a little blemish on the back of the bottom of it. So I'm still watching it, but like stuff like that's out there. Like his base optics are like just a couple bucks. His prisms are, you know, the hype is totally cool for him. And so I think that we're in a buying window for him. And I think his values are going to go up big time. So I'm going back to that well. I like it, and you also have to keep this in mind as well. Mike Tomlin's not one of those coaches that is feeling that's ever going to feel pressure to put a rookie quarterback in, right? The Steelers are a different kind of franchise, right? This is not uh, the Jaguars. This is not a franchise that is looking for a savior per se, right? Mm -hmm. The Steelers are the Steelers. They're top five iconic brand in this league, and they don't need some rookie quarterback to come in and save the day, right? Now. Pickett is their long-term solution, but they're gonna. I think Trubisky's going to have a longer leash. So I like that. And once again, this is something that I like a lot about Trubisky. Right? All the intangible stuff he's really good at. Like Houston, the, the, no one in that locker room ever had a bad thing to say about him. They said he put in all the work. This is one of those. Um, you know, we we're talking about him before the episode. And he might be in the outtakes. This is a little bit different than, you know, a Jamarcus Russell or a Ryan Leaf scenario where they were high draft picks, but it was their own accord that cost them any opportunity. Trubisky did all the right things and it didn't work out in Chicago, but Chicago is still a disaster, right? Now he's going to one of the more stable situations in the NFL. I like it. 
I, after I, putting in after putting in the work and, and building that grit in Buffalo, I think Pittsburgh is like this guy's going to be perfect for us as a bridge quarterback. Maybe though he can make a new name for himself, but at the very least, I think he's going to get at least ten to twelve. And and that's if he doesn't play well. Um, if he just plays okay, I think he could potentially start the whole season. You know. And um, I think his values go up to right out of the gate. Once we get that public acknowledgement that he's the starter, I think his values are going to go up big time. Season starts Cincinnati, then the Patriots, Browns, Jets. So not a difficult start. Now, week four and week five, it does go Bills, Bucks, so that kind of sucks. But that's not the most difficult start to a schedule. And once again, in football cards, the first four weeks matter more than the next four, as we talked about plenty of times yeah. on here. So, yeah, and once again, we saw what Brian Dable did to Josh Allen. Maybe Brian Dable did the same thing with Mitchell Trubisky last year, and now Mitchell's going to get his opportunity. So we shall see what happens. Andy, fun episode. Once again, patreon.com slash football cards. We are growing. I I'm really enjoyed a shot last week on the Thursday Night Live on the football card quest. I did not know that that was the same guy, Jonathan Taylor cards. I enjoyed all the Jonathan Taylor gems. So um, go check that out on YouTube as well. And Andy, I'll see you next week, baby. Peace. Webcam utility. Look at that. Look at it. It's gonna it's gonna turn on. Look at this. <laughs> Sometimes I just I just sit here for five minutes to get this thing on. That's all. That's all I've basically been doing. Okay, there we go. Boom. Look at but you. once it's on, man, looks incredible. You look great. Wow. Sharp. Well, I look fair, man. Look at I this. Uh, one of my favorite cards right here. I'm actually sending it off to you. Uh, a PHL person. Okay, you know this is, right? Just guess which legendary Packers quarterback this is. It's blurry as crap, but so I guess this makes it even more challenging. Whoa, there it goes. Everybody. It doesn't look like like Rodgers. You're right. That's Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn. Everybody thought I was just holding the Aaron Rodgers rookie because it looks like the Aaron Rodgers rookie. Like just like from a distance, you could fool somebody with this because Aaron Rodgers, ironically, his rookie card in or or you know the rookie card you see everywhere, him in his practice uniform, his practice shorts. It's and those it, bubble letters at the top that give it away. That's that's you know that iconic 2008 design. Man, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I love me some Matt Flynn, man. Uh, I'm guessing LSU quarterback. Oh, you, you don't you didn't know Matt Flynn went to LSU? No, no, I'm not I'm not uh, super knowledgeable about his uh uh so you knew you knew Matt Flynn, right? You knew who Matt Flynn was, but you didn't know he went to LSU. Yes, right. Oh man. So the way it worked, all right, this is fun. Okay, so college football now has the transfer portal, right? And you know, he uh now you can transfer school to school and be immediately eligible to play, right? So that's new. And Matt Flynn was in an era where you couldn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. 
And he came in the same recruiting class of a little-known quarterback named, you know who it was, who, who he came, the recruiting class he came in with? Think of legendary LSU quarterbacks. Let's see. It's, you, you. Around that time period, I'm trying to think, was that uh, was that Jamarcus Russell? Marcus Russell. So he came in with oh, nice. uh, – I'm pretty sure they were the same recruiting class. Pretty sure. Okay, so he came in with uh, Jamarcus Russell, but the bottom line was he was at LSU when Jamarcus Russell was at LSU, right? So Matt Flynn did not start into his uh, until his senior season, okay? And the only reason he ever got the opportunity to start is because – Jamarcus Russell went to the NFL draft that was selected number one overall. So Matt Flynn only started one year for LSU. And do you know what he did that year, Andy? I don't know. No. Did he take you guys to the national championship? Well, he took LSU to the national championship. He won LSU what? the national championship. And um, he wouldn't have ever gotten the opportunity if Jamarcus Russell decided to stay. Now, what was very interesting about that team was there were a lot, and I mean a lot, of people um, that that came back to that team, right? And Jamarcus obviously didn't because, you know, he was the number one overall pick. But, like, Glenn Dorsey um, had a pretty good draft grade. He decided to come back to go for the national championship. And the rest is history, Matt Flynn. And if you go back and watch that season – that is the wildest season in college football history, 2007. The only year in the modern era with a two-loss national champion. We had two losses that year, and that year was just chaotic. It's like the college football fans that watch this will know. I think I remember that because that was the year that USF, my school here in Tampa, that's not even like a ranked school, actually became ranked. And they were for for like a uh, for the first half or first three quarters of the season there, they were like undefeated. And yeah, I, I didn't you guys have like multiple overtime games that year? A lot. So they had um, the only two games that they lost were in overtime. Okay, but what made that team? wild was well they didn't have many overtime um wins they had a lot of miraculous wins so lsu went five for five on fourth down to beat florida and that was the beginning of the tim tebow hype so i remember that week on lsu's campus like people got tim tebow's number and was calling him and his voicemail box got full every lsu student on campus then matt flynn had the most miraculous, crazy throw. Um, LSU was in field goal range to win the game. And instead of kicking a field goal, Les Miles decided to throw a bomb um, at the very last second, and Flynn completed it for a touchdown to Demetrius Bird. And wow. that that year, um, LSU just had a bunch of close calls, comebacks. They were down by 10 points, I think, in six of their games. And – that was just a miraculous team, and Matt Flynn led them. But the point is, uh, the NFL side of it is, Matt Flynn would have never been in the NFL had it not been for Jamarcus Russell leaving early. 
right? Because Jay Russ would have remained the starter. And what a lot of LSU fans get wrong is since Jamarcus Russell was this colossal bust and the way that he busted was all on him, it was a thousand percent on him. Um, they, they forget how good he was in college. He was a really good college quarterback. And he uh, was super clutch. Like Matt Flynn, the one thing both of them had, they were just very, very, very clutch, right? They played in a lot of close games because Les Miles wasn't that great of a coach. And they won us a lot of close games in a run-first attack. Um, and what made that national championship really crazy was – LSU had Jamarcus Russell go in the first round, but it also had Dwayne Bowe and Craig Buster Davis go in the first round as well. And they still won the national championship uh, that next year because they had so many other guys returning. But, um, but yeah, Matt Flynn, what a dude. What a freaking dude. Yeah, man, I'm I'm um, I'm blown away. I got I got picked off last night. Um, I got sniped left and right, dude. Uh, I was trying to get into a bunch of auctions on 2021 contenders optic because I felt like that set got overshadowed by Prism, and so it was going undervalued. And I was seeing like on card contenders optic rookie ticket autos sell for less than the silver prism auto that's got a sticker auto and i was like whoa wait a minute you know and so i was trying to get that and then i realized after like i got a ton of comments from our uh prism our quest cast last week guys that were talking about uh this short print silver variation that they only printed in hanger boxes and you can tell because it's got a v dash and the number on the back so if you go look at 2021 Prism hanger boxes, those are reselling for about the same as the blaster boxes now, which is wild. Less product, but because it's got this hanger exclusive short print photo variation, kind of like 2012, they did a base and then a short print variation. That's what they did this year. However, they only put the short print variation in the hanger boxes uh, from everything that I've read from all the comments I got last week. So that that is um, propelled the value of the hanger boxes up to forty fifty dollars in uh, on eBay. Wow! And yeah, I've, but, seen, I've seen the ETN card where like the ETN card. Yeah. So different. what I found is that the short print variation is routinely selling for the same as or lower than what the base silver variation is. Some things that are trending, right? Um, sales volume has picked up big time for Julio Jones as uh, signing rumors heat up about where he's going to land this season. Odds on favorite are the Green Bay Packers, followed by Matt Ryan and the Colts, and then the Cowboys. Um, so I've seen a big increase in his graded card sales this past week and, and raw. And then uh, I've seen a big pop in Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell cards based on this fight that they've got scheduled now. Did you see this? Good. Yeah, it's that's odd. I like it. AP and Lev Bell are going to duke it out, man. This is wild. In the, in the crypto arena. That's a pretty big venue to have for, for that. I've never – I mean, I think this is going to be a massively hyped event, dude. When have we ever seen two uh, NFL running backs that at, at their peak, like Adrian Peterson's a Hall of Famer at his peak, Lev Bell – 
was on track to become one, you know, but obviously he had a lot of other issues going on and, and never uh, fizzled, he fizzled out. But I mean, this is a massively, I think, hyped event. I've never seen two NFL players get in a boxing ring, two running backs. This, I mean, I'm, I'm already seeing like uh, some polarizing opinions. Like um, I'm projecting AP to kick Lev Bell's ass, but I mean, I don't know, we'll see. What do you, who do you think is going to win this fight? Yeah, so you would you would think that because you know Peterson's got cement hands, yeah. uh, but so much of that just comes down to like like fatigue, right? Like if they were in like a street fight and they were just throwing haymakers, you would think Adrian Peterson would win. So much of it is going to come down to like how much training you're going to do, and I would guess since Adrian Peterson played more recently in the NFL, he's going to be in better shape, but. You honestly, never know. You honestly, I never know. Like, I don't, yeah. I've seen yeah. his shape, man, that he's maintained like last year in the offseason. I mean, the guy's ripped. I mean, he just, he's, he's doing cardio every day. He's like toting monster truck tires around just for fun, like to stay in shape. I don't know, man. <laughs> And and Lev Bell, you know, he had the uh, substance abuse issues. I can't imagine that he's not partaking more often now that he's no longer in the league. But yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know he had that after uh, his career. Uh, I I do know I do know this that him sitting out that full season is still the worst thing I've ever seen an agent do to a client. And what was it? He lost fourteen million that year by sitting out um, on an offense with a more prime Ben mm. and Antonio Brown, right? In the and prime of his career, in prime the prime of his, of his career, coming off of what, like a fifteen hundred yard season? Like, I wish that there was like a better track record of the best agents who got their clients the most money with little production compared to the agents who way undersold their client, right? Uh, like, for instance, uh, Freddie Freeman's agent, you know, what he did this past offseason, Le'Veon Bell's agent, you know, Freddie Freeman's different sport. But then I think about the agents who really crushed it for their client, including John Wall's agent, right, who made $47 million. John Wall made forty-seven million for the Rockets, and people John Watson's agent, <laughs> John Watson's agent, you know, getting the one million dollar this year salary with the back loaded guaranteed everything else is just insane. But really, the best agent of recent memory, and I'm not like obviously there have been a lot of bad NBA contracts to role players that make like 15 to 20 million a year, right? The gap between NFL salaries and NBA salaries still remains to me the most amazing thing. Like, you know, the two seasons that Clay Thompson didn't play, the salary he made would be top five all-time salary at nearly or top 10 all-time salary at every single non QB position. And that, and those are like the two seasons 
that he didn't play at all. That doesn't include like his entire career. But the agent who deserves the biggest credit is Ezekiel Elliott's agent. Mm-hmm. There will never be a better contract signed in the in in football than that one. By a running back, right? Especially, <laughs> it was the last great running back contract. Yeah, um, man. Now there's still some other good running back contracts out there. Like, I mean, you know, Alvin Kamara. You know, if he's you know suspended, you know, the Saints are going to get the the same ROI. And I love AK. But AK was was always better than Ezekiel Elliott, and when he plays, he actually is elite. Tony Pollard's a better back than da- in Dallas. I know you're a big Tony Pollard guy, but Zeke, his agent, just knowing that Jerry was eventually going to pay him and not allowing Zeke to do anything until they got it. I remember reading up on it; like there was a lot behind it, and to get Zeke his money was just the absolute perfect timing because he would not have gotten the contract the next year. So whoever that agent is, I remember reading about him. I don't, I don't know his name or anything like that. That's, that's why I got him right there.